0: I am grateful to you both, but I don't think this is a job for the Rangers, Buck, nor for the Army, sir. It is, I think, going to be a very harsh and unpleasant kind of business, and will, I think, require an extremely harsh and unpleasant kind of man to see to it. Dan Burke. I hope all of you are having a great day in your art studio and I hope the art is coming out well. I'm going to draw while I record this, so hang in there with me, okay? I'm looking at Skyheart Book One, The Starseed on Kickstarter. It is a project by Jake Parker. I've been talking about this project for several reasons. The most important reason is I think it's a blueprint for people who want to create projects, present projects, and then hopefully create them at some point, you know, down the road after they get the funding for it. His whole package on Kickstarter is really well done, and his whole pitch and idea is very well done. I have to say, though, as I like to mark down, everybody take out your your scorebook and keep track I was wrong. Yes, I was wrong. I predicted that his Kickstarter would fund in 24 hours. Uh, and I predicted also it would cross $100,000. I have two predictions on his Kickstarter. Well, three, I guess, when I say it's going to fund for sure. In the first 24 hours, it only made $45,871. So he didn't make his goal of 78000 in the first 24 hours. Which I predicted So I'm wrong But he did make $45,000 Potentially in the first day The Kickstarter still has 28 days to go uh, he, His art has a very lyrical uh, Storybook, child storybook Type look to it It's very pretty, very well done He does objects in three dimensions Beautifully Very organically Spaceships and things like that I'm not saying that you should run over there and pledge his project. That's not what this show is about. Uh, what you choose to do with your money in that respect is up to you. Do I think it's a worthy and good project? I actually do. Now, then it comes down to taste. It's like a book about horror or a book about anything. Do you want a book uh, you know, like this? So it's like a child's adventure sort of book. If that sort of book appeals to you, this might be a good project to back I can't really say but from all indications it looks like it is a good project to back it looks like he can successfully create stuff over a period of time and that's what you want in a project uh, so for what it is it looks fantastic I have to say the artwork is beautiful the presentation is beautiful so you should bookmark this because uh Kickstarter stay online forever, even after they're offline. This is really the blueprint that you want to use if you ever want to create a project, create a Kickstarter, and do it in the right way. He was very smart about this. He's been talking about it very passionately. This is my passion project I've been wanting to do for 15 years. And I just haven't had the time to do it. And now, you know, if you guys give me the money, I can take my time and you know devoted to this project that's his pitch and he it's a good one he's sincere and like i said he started this whole thing a few months ago laying the groundwork with his fans and people on youtube i think youtube is a key part of his success on this endeavor i don't think Well, it's hard to say, but YouTube gives him a platform to talk to people face-to-face. Hypothetically, you feel like it's one-on-one because he's sort of facing the camera and he's doing the extremely sincere pitch, which I get. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing it. I'm describing it. And, you know, he's just like, hey, you know, it's Jake hanging out here. Let me tell you about my ideas. And of course, he's the guy that did Inktober and uh, some other stuff. And so Jake, through the sheer will of his very nice personality, I would say, he's charming. He has engarnered a great uh, following. And of course, you know, depending on what your taste is, his artwork is excellent. I think that even without taste, you can look at his work and say it's excellent. I think that we could perhaps agree on that. There's some universal uh, excellences. Now, I'm not saying it's your taste. But his mastery of comics uh, and the ability to draw and illustrate is obvious. And again, I think he has an extremely charming style and he's coloring the book in a very, I would say, uh, hyper color style that really is beautiful and I think is going to appeal to a lot of people. And even though he didn't get funded in the first 24 hours, I think he's going to do very well that's still my prediction. Of course, <laughs> I've been wrong this fa- so far, so I could continue to be wrong. Who knows, but uh, anyway, I thought I'd bring that up right away because it was on my mind. I was looking at it. I'm sitting here today drawing a dressing room, and the dressing room is filled with clothes and the way I'm doing it is the two characters are talking to each other and they're in front of a big mirror and so the reflection in the mirror informs us with a whole bunch of information about you know where they are what it looks like and one of the things I'm doing with this particular cartoon strip comic book graphic story, (laughs) is I'm imbuing it with an intense sense of place. Since the characters are moving through different places through the book, I really want to have a sense of these places, as if you're really going to a real place. And uh, I think doing that the way I'm doing it is with the character of the people who they meet and the backgrounds. I'm trying to add some i wouldn't call it texture so much as character to the background, so they they sort of imbue the book with a sense uh of i don't i don't know what that sense would be, but it's definitely a style and i'm I was gonna say nostalgia because i'm I'm doing something sort of old fashioned but it's not about nostalgia it's about something else, but I guess it's kind of like that. Feeling you get when you're watching old 1960s movie. Uh, those 60s movies had a real sense about them, the way they were, and the style, and the different things. And I think that's what I'm chasing in this particular thing is this hyper sense of style, which is uh, actually a weird thing to chase, right? <laughs> I've been having a good time in the art studio. I've been keeping busy. And I have this dilemma. And I guess for some people who are, of course, you know, different life experiences and moi, this sort of thing does not become a problem. But for me, it is. I've had how can I put this without offending anybody well I guess for sure they're never gonna listen to this that's not the case of that but it's more 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 to it than that I'll never want to talk about someone that I wouldn't want to say to their face if that makes sense so let me put it just out there stop running around it someone has asked me for a favor and I just don't feel comfortable in doing and I think it's because of several reasons one is I I don't have the time to do this favor this thing second is I don't think I'm a good choice for several reasons And the biggest reason of all is, (laughs) is I hardly know the person that asked me for this favor. You know, I'm I'm not, you know, I don't know. Like, imagine someone you hardly knew called you up and said, hey, listen, I, I need you to, and then put in some favor there, just fill it in. Some things I think we can do, sort of okay, not an issue, but other things that are an amazing investment of time and energy and stuff like that, I don't think that things like that should be taken lightly. And of course, if you listen to anything in this show, you know I often suggest not to take projects lightly, that's very important what you invest your time in because time is so utterly precious and you only get so much of it and then I'm sort of torn on the other side thinking well you know should I not help people you know what I mean like irregardless if they're a stranger let's just say it's anyone you know should I not invest hundreds of hours of my life to help them? I mean, they asked for the help. Am I am I just going to automatically say no? You know, should I rethink it? Should I sort of restructure my life so I have the hundreds of hours to give to them? You know, am I being selfish? Uh, am I just being uh, the inability to you know, be assertive enough, you know, am I afraid of not being liked, you know, the person, you know, give them the bad news, that I can't really do this, and now they'll hate me forever, Uh, and you know, when I review everything like that, I I, I can sort of live with it, (laughs) good news is, barely know them, like I said, but again, I want to sort of look at it from all angles, you know, what if this was my very best friend, well, it was my very best friend for sure I would do this in a heartbeat, but this is far, far from that, that person uh, for many reasons, but most importantly is I barely know them, which is not a fault of, of either one of us, it's just the way life went. So I don't know how I ended up being the one that they would ask for such a thing, but I guess I'm gonna have to say no and I'm gonna have to say no real soon and I guess that's just the way it's gonna be I don't know you know I I wonder have you ever had someone ask you for a favor that you were kind of like why are they asking me Or, or maybe I'm not thinking correctly like I said should I be more willing to help people, but and again, again have, have you had this experience, have you felt this, and kind of said to yourself, what do I do? <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm experiencing right now. And I, it's not so much, I guess what it is, is I don't want to make a mistake, and one of those mistakes could be in life, is not helping somebody. You know, not everybody needs help every five minutes. But I can't rescue people. You know, I, I'm, I'm not able to do that. That's, that's not my job. So, I, I don't know. I guess that's the facts. I'm just not up for it. <laughs> and I'm going to have to get over uh, my conflicting feelings about it. I think... I naturally want to help people. But maybe, I don't don't know. Maybe that feeling isn't. It's just a feeling. It's not something I'm going to act on. I don't know. I mean, it's easier just to hand somebody five bucks, write them a check. It's really, really hard to invest hundreds of hours of your personal time in something that you're kind of like well, this doesn't mean a thing to me. And you think to yourself, do I want do I want it to mean something to me? Do I want this thing to have you know, meaning for me? Ah, <laughs> life is so funny. I'm sure other people don't have any problems like this even remotely. Well, I've switched to a new brush in Manga Studio. I have to say, this thing really makes a difference. You wouldn't wouldn't think, (laughs) but it really, really, really does, and it uh, has helped. Like most things, it's sort of like a trial and error thing. At one point, I had everything turned off as far as the tablets were concerned, except the ability for the tablet to perceive itself and uh, I was drawing and it made the art really sketchy it took away like some of the smoothness that manga studio automatically allows you to have if you want it it was really interesting so from there I've been experimenting with different brushes over time and that has lent itself to some cool effects so right now I'm using the (laughs) what the heck is it it's the it's the oil brush but it's the chisel (laughs) and it's more of the way you think of as a square flat brush that's the way you think of this thing and that's just the way it acts it's it's really cool I know there's people online that sell Manga Studio, like entire suites of uh, brushes and stuff. And I've heard people rave about them. So I think there's some people out there who have come to the point of trial and error where they've developed a beautiful set of working brushes for Manga Studio. And that might be wor- worth looking into. I, uh, I know there's people out there who do that because I've heard other artists talking about it and that might be interesting to see what they've developed on their end this entire book is in black and white so I've been working with a, a hyper black and white style One of the things i've been illustrating in this book is a sequence with a magician and the magician uh, performs these magic tricks and i've always been i've always enjoyed theater and magic tricks and costumes and the whole thing and so all that is inside you know magic tricks the guy just doesn't walk out in a janitor costume and do a trick, you know. <laughs> there's a setup, there's a sense of suspense, there's surprises, and then there's a logical, you know, progression to it usually. So that was sort of fun in developing this story was developing the act that the magician would perform and how that would actually work. So I was thinking in my mind you know, I don't want to make the tricks something that no one could ever do, you know, like completely ridiculous. You know, like you cut his body into, and his head is, or his you know, legs are running around and just crazy stuff. But I also wanted to, so I wanted to make it plausible, but I also wanted to make it really cool and visually cool to look at. But I wanted there to be the idea that this really could be a real trick. So I've got, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> to find out what a geek I really am. I have hundreds of books on magic. And I've been sort of fascinated with Houdini and magic and things like that since I was a kid. So I have a deep understanding on how many, many complex tricks are done. How it's done with mirrors or boxes or all kinds of things you can do. So I based my magic uh, my magician's routine in this book uh, what I would consider a real routine a magician could do but it's very stylized that's that's the caveat you can do things obviously in comics you can't do in real life so I had him doing some really cool tricks but I think that even though you know they're pretty outlandish they're super visually appear appealing to look at in the book uh, and I think that in some respects a real magician could do them in real life so anyway that's 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 the way I was thinking of setting all this up and as you can see I'm putting way too much time into thinking about stuff but it all happens pretty naturally and quick I'm just discussing it right now but when I sit down to illustrate the scene I didn't labor over it or think about it for a week or anything I just sat down and started illustrating it and The thing I first started illustrating was the magician's office. What would it look like if a magician had an office, and not just an office, but his prop room where he kept all his magic tricks? So that was the first thing I illustrated to help set the mood of it. And then I made some magician posters uh, that would hang in the back walls of this uh, prop room and uh, be in the background peripherally as the characters would move through the room. So what I did was I built myself a big stage. And I built myself a big room of props and things that I could use to create shots with. So then I, after I had these beautiful walls and rooms and posters and other things I created, this cool room, I went and created the shots and the characters and and so on. and. Now, all this is happening on the fly in real time in my brain as I'm just drawing the, the you know the illustration, the picture. I'm drawing this room and thinking about it and thinking about the next illustration and so on and how this is going to tie together in the conversation, how it's going to work. But drawing that room was a hell of a lot of fun because I, I loved trying to capture you know that feeling of what it would really be like to be in the magician's prop room it would be crammed full of stuff uh, there would be cool stuff but there'd be an order to it like a scientist's lab you know it wouldn't be like a hoarder's place it would it would be more uh, organized than that and the magician himself I wanted him to be sort of like that old, old style magician from the 50s that he would encounter perhaps in a county fair or something, Uh sideshow type thing, almost like a swami with the turban and sort of the Middle Eastern sort of Houdini-esque, uh, you know, vibe. <laughs> anyway, I always like that vibe. So all that is what I'm shooting for in the whole thing. And you know the clothes the guy wears, uh, and, and so on and so forth. All coming together to form the costumes, the place, the objects, and the mood and everything that that make this story. I think set designing a movie, or doing you know the production on any level whether it was the art direction or the costumes or you know all kinds of cool things are are done on movies I think that would just be really fun because I love doing that in my books I love more and more creating the look of the whole thing uh, as if I was casting the movie and then you know going in and directing that movie and getting this the perfect shot each time and things like that. That's uh, I don't know. I, th- I think there's a lot of correlation between those two things, and I I just love that part of the job is the art direction, the set design. As I've often said, I think I like every part of the job. I think I like you know the laying out of the book and in design. I think I like doing the hyper crazy realistic backgrounds. I like doing the you know the sensuous drawings of women I like doing the the hyper you know realistic cars and other things and objects and you know all all these different aspects to the whole thing uh, I like taking the reference photos <laughs> uh, you know I don't like uh, having to uh, well I don't know I can't say that I guess you know some stuff's just work, that's for sure, but even the uploading the books to various services and so on and so forth that's that's satisfying you know when you finally get your book up there on you know Kindle or wherever you're gonna stick it you know that's a that's a pretty good feeling of satisfaction. <laughs> it would be more satisfying and amazing if you sold tons of books, but you can't have everything so just the act of completing things. Uh, through every single stage uh, is kind of a cool thing. I know I enjoy that very much. It's probably what I'm addicted to is the crossing of the finishing line. There's so much you can't control, but you can certainly control what you do. And uh, who knows? Maybe like you know, twenty years after I'm dead, the world will discover all my books and go like, "Holy smokes! You believe all this? All these books? This guy maybe, he, he he was really going for it. He was a genius. You know, like Melville's Moby Dick. You know, Melville dies broken, penniless, and then a hundred years la- later, you know, every kid in school has to read Moby Dick. It's hard to find a person in American culture who doesn't know who Moby Dick is. You know, <laughs> Stuff like that. It's, uh, it's the truth. I'm going to see James Bond tomorrow. Spectre. I'm excited about that. I don't know if it's a publicity thing, but I heard that Daniel Craig was no longer happy being James Bond. Jeez. You get handed a role like that and it makes your whole career because, you know, no one knew the hell who he was before that. He should really enjoy it. You know, Pierce Brosnan embraced it. He's still playing, you know, really cool secret agents and stuff and has made a career on being that cool guy. He does car commercials and everything. Uh, But, gee whiz, Daniel Craig supposedly doesn't like it? I don't know if I can believe that. That would be not liking the goose that lays golden eggs. You know, you don't like that golden egg-laying goose? (laughs) Oh, well. I still think Sean Connery uh, is my favorite James Bond. There was just something so cool about Sean Connery. And the films are getting dated now. They're pretty silly, but you know. Roger Moore, I like the style of some of the films, and I don't particularly dislike Roger Moore, but he never seemed very dangerous or capable of doing anybody anything except being you know being their waiter or being their bellhop and delivering them stuff some stuff <laughs> you know, in other words he wasn't dangerous he wasn't gonna beat people up and again this is not a criticism of Roger Moore he seems like a very nice man but that's the point uh, live and let die though he did even though that's a silly silly film he did seem uh, sort of dangerous in that film when he was in that black sweater shooting people up with the, with the cool Uh, Magnum 45 gun he had. That was pretty wild. Now that I've gone off on the tangent of movies, it's interesting to note that the Big Jake movie, I think it came out in 71, it was a John Wayne movie. That movie was written by the exact same guy that wrote Dirty Harry. And... Both those movies came out in '71. One in the summer, and one in the Christmas. And there's a lot of parallels between the writing styles of Big Jake and Dirty Harry. Some of the way the guy constructs, uh, you know, scenes and moments. I've always liked that movie, Big Jake. That is a tremendously good John Wayne movie. In our last show, we talked about the opening of a story and how you set the stage with the characters and who they are and what they're about. You don't necessarily have to set the stakes yet, but you get to know a lot of stuff. Big Jake does that really well. A bunch of bad guys come in and kidnap a kid and then they're holding a meeting on whether they're going how they're going to, you know, follow these bad guys and get this kid back. And the lady steps up who's the grandmother and says, Well, this is not a job for the army or the sheriff or, you know, the posse. She goes, This is these are extremely unpleasant and dangerous men. And she goes, and for this task, we need an extremely unpleasant and dangerous man. And then the, the movie cuts to a close-up of John Wayne <laughs> aiming his gun or his rifle at someone. And the music goes, dun-dun, dun-dun, dun like that. And it's so cool. It's, it's the greatest introduction to a character. It's so well done. And Dirty Harry's introduction is very well done, too, if you watch that movie. But, man, that introduction to Big Jake is great. And there's some beautiful uh, moments in that movie. The guy that plays the villain, I can't remember his name. I don't want to missay miss, his name. He is an absolute genius at playing the villain. He is such a great, great villain. And the conversations and confrontations between him and John Wayne, are literally the whole movie. And there's a great joke in the movie that runs through the movie where people go keep saying to him, y- "You're, uh, you know, Jake, you know, McAllister, whatever the heck his name, or, you know." He goes, "I thought you were dead," <laughs> and he goes, "Hardly." And they use that joke over and over again, and it's still funny. And you know, you can do a callback joke like that a couple times, and, and it's funny. and you see it in uh, Two and a Half Men all the time. Within ten minutes, they'll do a callback joke two or three times because it's the easiest, quickest way to write. But in this movie, they do that, and it's pretty, pretty good. There's, there's a great confrontation between John Wayne and the bad guy where John Wayne has a, a shotgun to the guy's head, and, and he repeats back to him a speech the bad guy said to him earlier in the story. And uh, it's so brilliantly, brilliantly done. I just saw something in your eyes I don't like. I saw a foolish thought. You understand me. Anything happens, anything at all, your fault, my fault, nobody's fault, my little brother will blow that kid's head right off. It's as simple as that. No matter who else gets killed, that boy dies. the shotgun misses him, it don't matter. You already know about the rifle on him. That won't be as messy as a shotgun at three feet, but that boy will be just as dead. You understand me? Say it. I understand. Now open it up. This stuff that dreams are made of. What's a million dollars look like, John? Now you understand. Anything goes wrong, anything at all. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. It don't matter. I'm gonna blow your head off. It's as simple as that. You say, I can't hear him. No matter what, what else, else happens, happens, no matter who gets killed, I'm gonna blow your head off. You know. Something wrong, John. Uh just absolutely love, love that movie. Yeah, when he when he confronts the bad guy at the end, and the bad guy finally figures out that John Wayne doesn't give a damn and he's gonna kill him one way or another. This guy really starts sweating, it. it's really good. And uh, you have to love John Wayne's unapologetic uh, representation of the badass American hero. I mean, he's not afraid to punch anybody, do anything, I mean, tell anybody off. When he comes into the compound to confront the bad guys, he spits on the one guy. <laughs> he just spits on him. It's, you know, it's... It's completely fantastic. Big Jake is available free on YouTube. Uh, just type in Big Jake John Wayne and up comes the complete movie and that is an absolute classic it really is. the music is terrific too and again, written by the same guy, the same screenwriter in the same year produced you know and uh, up you know in the theaters uh, what a year it was for that guy uh, who wrote Dirty Harry. Big Jake with John Wayne. Well, I hope all of you are having a great day in your art studios. I hope the art is coming out well. Keep creating, keep doing your thing. And I will, over here in the art studio, keep creating and doing my thing (laughs) and having fun with it. Have a great day. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. So it's going to be fun. We all have a lot to look forward to. It's going to be wonderful. I look forward to another uh, exciting couple weeks here. Have a great day in your art studios, and I'll see you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye.